Welcome to Manowaker Studios Flash Fiction Podcast. I'm CB Drogi. This week, The Gift Shop by M.A. Dosser. An alien ship crashed near a nowhere town. The event shook the nation. Fervor over potential alien invaders, whether they would be friends or foes, if our diseases would kill them, and more filled every conversation. Scientific and political careers were made by debating the implications of the ship. The media covered the crash from morning to night. It was the only thing that mattered throughout the world, at least for a time. In response to the immense interest, the nowhere town built a gift shop. The gift shop sat in a previously vacant lot on the edge of town, larger than an airship hangar. Its exterior was coated in a reflective black sheen. Perched on top of the building, visible from all sides, sat a large replica of the spaceship. It turned out early thoughts on alien spacecrafts were correct. The crashed ship was a flying saucer. A clear dome rested atop an extended disk of metal tall enough for small beings to move about inside. Beneath the ring was a sturdy cylindrical base. The metal of the ship, however, was not gray or black as one might expect. It was lilac. Lights lined the ship's base and illuminated the parking lot. During the day, these lights glowed green. At night, they shone blue. A beam of light emanated from the replica ship at all hours. The light resembled a tractor beam from old science fiction films. The gift shop engineers installed a vacuum at the base of the beam so visitors could see dust motes and sand particles swirl in the harsh light. A constant drone emanated from the vacuum, which many mistook for the saucer's engine. During tumultuous weather, the drone paired with the lights convinced patrons the ship could take off at any moment. The tractor beam focused on the entrance to the gift shop. In the morning, the light switched from a deep red to a near-blinding white, just as the metal entryway to the gift shop rattled and shot upward. Fog then rolled out of a gaping entrance, only to dissipate in the blistering white light. The scent of sterile metal, with a slight hint of what many thought to be seared steak, wafted outward alongside the fog. The gift shop is now open to the world, the display heralded. At closing, the beam would switch back to red as the door slammed downward with a metallic thunk, loud enough to be heard beyond even the furthest reaches of the nowhere town. Through the entrance, one would find themselves in the lobby. To the left were clothing stores. Here a person could buy spaceship-themed jackets, lilac pants, and t-shirts with slogans that would make a niece or nephew squeal with delight on their birthday. Accessories like purses, wallets, and phone cases equipped with lights like those on the saucer sat in neatly ordered rows. Racks of hats bearing depictions of the ship lined the walls. The cashiers wore lilac-colored name tags on their jackets with small ship insignias on the left breast and a massive rendering of the gift shop on the back. Through the lobby, food stands lined the far wall. They stretched so far in either direction, if one ate until near bursting at one end, 
they would find themselves hungry again before they reached the other. Some of these stands labeled themselves Food of the Future, others Food from Outer Space, and others still had signs written in elaborate symbols signifying it was authentic alien cuisine. Most served chicken. The scent of the grilling pineapple, sizzling soft pretzels, and tossed spices mingled and produced a scent that caused mouths to moisten. Children often drifted to the stands that sold ice cream, candy, and even fruit, because space fruit was far more appealing than the regular variety, even if it looked and tasted identical. And, of course, the gift shop contained many attractions. A popular ride had passengers climb aboard miniature ships that flew in a circle as they floated up and down, and a light show danced across their visages. Tucked into a nearby corner was a viewing area where patrons could watch films about the crash, the fallout around the world, and the construction of the gift shop. The optional headphones kept the braying of those riding the undulating saucers from distracting the viewers. The only sounds they would hear would be the sweeping orchestral scores accentuating the sonorous voices of the narrators. The most popular feature of the gift shop was on the far right, with a wait time nearly as lengthy as the wait to enter the building. In fact, many people left the entry line only to join this one, waiting in lines until closing time, but it was worth it, because here, one could take a picture with the spaceship. Well, not the spaceship, but a three-dimensional facsimile. Photos came with complimentary t-shirts proclaiming one had touched, rode, or crashed the spaceship, depending upon the pose the person selected. For an extra fee, one could have the picture printed onto a shirt, bag, or beach towel. With a lengthy line and children's attention spans notoriously short, it was not uncommon for one to wander away to explore. A family may find themselves a child short after an hour or two standing in line, but they wouldn't worry, as their child had likely made her way over to the ice cream stand, where she was sure to find a free sample of the gelatinous green or bacterial blue flavors. From there, she might wander outside to the veranda. The veranda's ceiling and floor were painted black, previously thought reserved for the night sky, and dotted with stars forming familiar constellations. In the center of the floor, appearing to be far, far below, one could see the earth. Through some marvel of artistry, as one walked, the earth spun. The light emanating from the dotted stars above and below permitted patrons' visibility if they chose to read, eat, or play low-gravity cornhole, which was much like regular cornhole but with lighter beanbags. Black fans blended seamlessly with the ceiling and kept the veranda cool while replicating the tractor beam's comforting drone. The world past the veranda was a nearly impenetrable white, but an adventurous child could venture into it. There she would find an expanse of desert, as the nowhere town was surrounded on all sides by a seemingly endless stretch of sand, pocked with dunes and gorges. If the child proved curious enough, she might take a short, easy stroll up a ridge and behold a most interesting sight. Not even a quarter mile from the gift shop, closer than many of its parking spots, rested the original crashed spaceship at the base of a sand valley. Its grandeur marred, but undeniable. Like the reproduction on the roof, the saucer was a light purple. Due to years of exposure, grit coated the metal, with flakes of a darker gray blemishing the lilac exterior. 
Even from the dune's peak, the child could smell its otherworldly sterility. With one side of the disk submerged in sand, it dribbled from the other like an upturned hourglass. On top of the saucer sat the severely damaged glass dome. One crack spread like a spider web from an impact point where something had struck it from the inside. Like the disk, the cylindrical base was partially covered, sunk into the dune's wall. But shade from the thick metal ring preserved it more so than the rest. If the inquisitive child paced closer to the ship, she would find desert life taking up residence in the ship's shade. Maybe more, if she looked inside. And there it sat. Definitive proof that life on other planets, or at least other moons, existed. Proof that voyaging throughout the cosmos was not only possible, but had already been achieved. Proof that there was more. Yet, no one other than the child stood there. There was no fence keeping people away, no scientists excavating. Nothing other than a spaceship tilted onto its side, sunk into a sand valley. Footprints leading from the gift shop to the dune were scarce. Footprints to the ship, even more so. Eventually, someone would call out to the curious child, saying their turn to take a picture with the spaceship was soon. Without a moment's delay, she would scamper down the dune, through the veranda, and back to the line, leaving the real spaceship alone, and mostly forgotten. The mysteries of such a ship were abstract, while a picture and shirt showing that they saw a replica were tangible. Still today, decades after the crash, the ship rests in its valley. The gift shop grows more and more popular each passing year, with attendants bringing out the fire marshals more often than they would like. Fewer and fewer visitors seek out the nearby spaceship, preferring the gift shop and all its manufactured wonders over the reality with all its scars. This has been The Gift Shop, written by M.A. Dosser. Manawaker Studios Flash Fiction Podcast is supported by patrons on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash manawaker to find out more. The Flash Fiction Podcast theme song is by Kevin McLeod. Manawaker Studios Director of Dice is Ben Baston. The podcast is produced, edited, and narrated by me, C.B. Drogi. You can follow me on Twitter at C-B-D-R-O-E-G-E. Thanks for listening.